But today I'm continuing in the series, It is for our benefit. Now this is part two, or just for our benefit, part two. And I'm going to just give a brief recap of just some of the things we touched on last week. We were in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And I read it in the New King James Version, and I read it in the Amplified Version. And I'm just going to read the Amplified today. And the, the scripture refers to what it was stating. This was Jesus speaking. And he's saying, I'm reading it from the Amplified Version, starting from verse 1 in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, he repeatedly prunes so that it will bear more fruit, even richer and finer fruit. So I, to- I talked about the vine dresser. I said the father, my father is the vine dresser. And I said the vine dresser is the one that goes around and does the pruning. He does the one, he's the one that's doing the shaping. But my main focus in that verse was in verse number 2 and part B, where it says, Every branch that continues to bear fruit, he repeatedly prunes so that it will bear more fruit. And I posed a question. I said, if we are bearing fruit, why do we have to bear more fruit? Why prune those who are bearing fruit? Why prune those who, are, who have results or bearing results? And I, you know, and I said that we have to bear more fruit because God has already declared who we are and what we are becoming. We don't dictate who we are and who we are to be. God has already ordained before the foundations of the world who we are and what we are becoming. So how this unfolds, the who we are and what we are becoming, how this unfolds is based on a strategy and plan that God has ordained from the beginning. How that is achieved and, by, and that is achieved by consistent pruning. So the reason why, one of the reasons why, or the main reason why we are pruned to bear more fruit is as it's saying that we have not reached our full potential. So he is consistently pruning until we have reached our full potential. So one form of pruning is through chastening. Pruning is not pleasant. It's painful. And what the vine dresser is doing, he's stopping something from what it wants to do naturally so that he can shape it at what he wants it to become. That's why you prune something. You prune something because it wants to go a certain way and live and manifest itself a certain way. You prune it because the way it wants to manifest itself naturally is not the shape that you want it to be, to present. So you have to prune it to control the appearance, to control the outcome. So understand, that is why, that is why we are pruned. We are pruned because God has already declared who we are, and what we are becoming. So he has to shape us into that predetermined image that he has for us, which is the image of his son. Mm 
Got that? Now, I want to... That's kind of in a nutshell what we talked about. So we started in Hebrews chapter 12 last week. So I'd like us to go back to Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11. I'm just going to pick up there because I stopped in the middle of it last week. And I just want to pick up from there. I just want to point out just a few things in here. Not everything, just a few things. Alright, so let's start in verse 5. Are we going to read 3.11? Now Paul is speaking here. And he says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And this is, he's just quoting something that was, uh, that was spoken by the Spirit. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of our spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seems best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless, after the words, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay. So last time I didn't define chastening and I thought it was important to do so this week as I was reviewing the, the, the lesson. But the important thing is I'm looking at the word chastening I'm also looking at the word sons and receives. So in the Greek the Greek word for chastening it means tutorage that is education or training or disciplinary correction. So that is interchangeable here and how you look at it. So it's saying here, when you see chastening, it could mean any one of these. That you've been schooled, educated, or you've been trained, or you've been corrected. Amen? Okay. So that, uh, let's look at verse 5 and 6. It says, My son... Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Do not despise the, the education, the training, or the correction of the Lord. He says, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the love, Lord loves, He chastens, He corrects, He rebukes, He trains, He, he instructs, and scourges every son whom He receives. Okay, so look at the word sons and receives. He rebukes sons, he chastens sons, and he receives sons. Now if you read further down with verse 
verse 7, it says, If you endure chastening, God deals, deals with you as sons. He chastens his children, his sons. And it says in verse 8, If you are without chastening, you are illegitimate. So an illegitimate child is not an heir. He's a bastard. Even though he is biologically a son, a child, but he has no right to the promise. So God chastens his sons, heirs, his heirs. The illegitimate children don't have any right to an inheritance. So understand, when he's talking about chastening and he's talking about correcting, Everything is focused on who his heirs are. Who the heirs are. You got that? In verse 10 it says, or before it says, it says in verse 10, let's go to verse 10. It says here, the chastening by our natural father, our natural parents, it lasts for a few days or for a little while, and it seems best to them. Right? But God chastens us for whose benefit? For our benefit. He says, but He, for our benefit, or our pro- to profit us. God doesn't chasten us to benefit Him. He chastens us to benefit us. And He, sa- and he says, why? That we may be partakers of His holiness, or His divine nature. We are chastened, we are schooled and tutored and corrected, so we can be like our father. Do you understand that? Because if you're an heir to a promise, because the Bible says that we are kings and priests to God. We are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. An heir is going to inherit something. But it also says that we will rule and reign with Christ. So to learn to rule, you have to be trained and schooled in the family business, in how you rule. You have to be trained how to rule as a righteous judge. Because it says that we will be judging angels. Amen? Amen. So you have to learn to rule. So you have to be schooled and trained because the one who is our father, he is the one who dictates how we ought to rule. We can't rule based on our, our intellect. And how the world rules. Our, the way we rule and the way we have to rule is based on what God determines. He determines the standard. He determines the, the criteria. We are to be like our Father. A partaker of His divine nature. To be like Christ. That's why we've been conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay. So pruning yields something. What does it yield? And it says it in verse 11. It says it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So whatever you're going through, as you're going through, you'll be, you're learning something about yourself and about who, your father. 
So when you come in through and you learn it and you apply it to your lives, the fruit of it, what manifests in your life, glorifies the Father. And you learn something. So you come through that experience knowing something about yourself and knowing something about your Father. So those who have been, it says, those who are yielded and learn from the experience are those who have been trained. And I talked a little bit last week about being trained. You're not trained, you're not, somebody can't say you're trained unless you are producing something based on the training you receive. You have to be able to produce what you're training because you're being, to be trained means you have to be tutored, you have to be corrected, you have to be instructed to produce something. So when you show that you can produce that thing, then they say that you have been trained. Okay? So there is something that's going to come forth from our lives, that's going to manifest, that's going to say we have been trained by whatever experience we have had to go through. You got that? So chastening is part of our training so that we be conformed into the image of Christ. And something it said here in verse 12, which, we, which I'm going to read. It says, therefore, because of what I've just said, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Basically, he says, suck it up. Suck it up. Strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. Have a backbone. Endure the chastening. So that you can manifest what God says. Or what God is trying to do in your life. So whatever we are going through right now. Any challenges, any challenge we are facing. We have to learn through that experience. We learn something about ourselves. And we learn something about our Father. So you have to figure out what that is. That you are learning. Alright, I'd like us to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's go to verse 7. Let's go to verse 5. Something I want to show you there. Are you there? Yes. Okay, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 5. And then I'm going to switch, jump to verse 7. So also, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, the Father said, is saying to the Son, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. <laughs> Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered prayers and supplications with vehement crying and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. I'm going to stop right there. Wait, uh, let me go to 8. I'm sorry. Right? Godly fear. Verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Alright. Verse 5. Let me go back to verse 5. Listen to how God is addressing Christ. You are my son. How does, how does the Father address us? End of, ch- end of chapter 12 I just said there. He said, who the Father loves, He chastens, and He receives as sons. 
What is he saying? If you endure chastening, you are my son. That's what he's saying. To each and every one of us who endure chastening. You are my son. He's saying the same, he said the same thing to, to Jesus here. You are my son. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh. What does that mean? Christ in, the, in man. He's man. He's Jesus. He's the man Jesus. In the days of his flesh. When he walked the earth. When God came in the flesh. It says. Who in the days of his flesh. When he offered up prayers and supplication. With vehement cries and tears to him. To who him? To the father. Who was able to save him from death. And was heard because of his godly fear. Listen if you read this. I don't know if some of us have a preconceived idea of who Jesus is. Which is really false. When I read this here. This is telling me. Let me just define something here. Christ was a man. And he offered up prayers and supplications. Noisy prayers. Passionate prayers. And it says here with what? He says he was able to. The Father was able to save him from death. And we understand that. And what? Christ was heard because of his godly fear. Do you guys get that? He was man. He offered the prayers he offered up to the Father. Because there are things he had to do. He probably didn't want to do in his flesh. Didn't want to do it. And it says here. Boisterous with cries. And tears, offering up prayers and supplication to the Father. And one example was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. So those were no casual prayers. Those were some passionate, heartfelt prayers. Because it says his, his sweat was like drops of blood. The agony he was going through. Even in the wilderness when he was being tested by Satan. We don't understand the pressure he was under. So he, so we talk about the prayers he was given up to the Father. And he said what? He was heard because of his godly fear. Even though he knew he came from the Father. And he is in the form of man. He still reverenced the Father. How did he reverence the Father with godly fear? Because he said, he said he was heard because of his godly fear. So that means whatever prayer and supplication he made to the Father, the Father heard him because Jesus had a, a, a reverence for his Father. Because he was man. What is that reverence? And why was he heard? Because he said, I always do those things that please the Father. When Jesus approached the tomb to raise Lazarus from the dead, he says, Father, I know you always hear me. But for them, their sake, I have spread these prayers. Because he knew already what he had to do. He, called, he knew he had to call Lazarus out of the tomb. 
That's why he said with godly fear. With godly fear, the reverence you have for God is how much you're willing to obey Him. That shows how much you love Him. And that shows how much godly fear you have. Amen. And many of us don't get that. But chastening has a way of getting your attention. And that's how God gets our attention sometimes. Many times through chastening. And if you haven't gone through any chastening, you will be. You will go through it. And you know what? Sometimes you may have to do it, go through it on your own. People will pray, be able to pray for you and help you. But basically, you are the one who has to go through it. The question is, what do you learn as you're going through that thing? Okay. So these types of prayers that Jesus was offering up had to do with the things he was going through and had still to go through. The chastening and suffering has everything to do with the Father's will for our lives. Unless we purposely do things to get ourselves in trouble, you get in your own self in trouble. But sometimes you live in the life, you believe you're living the righteous life, but still stuff happens. Say, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why is that happening to me? Because there are things in you God is trying to pull out. There are things in you He's trying to get, get you to identify, face up with it, and get that deal with that thing so you don't have to deal with it anymore. So that thing doesn't have you in bondage. Because many times we are blind to some of the defects in our own heart. But He's saying here, the Father's will for our lives. What he desires to accomplish through us in this life is not what we want. It's what he desires to accomplish through us because it talks about the, what the fruit that is produced has nothing to do with us. It's what the Father desires to accomplish through us in this life. Verse, verse 8. He said, though he was a son, though Christ was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. If you read that or gloss that over, you'll miss a big, a very important thing. You learn obedience by the things you suffer. This, that, that's the chastening that's going on. And why do we, why are we chastened? We are chastened so we learn to yield to God. And the analogy I gave is with the potter and the clay. The clay can't tell the potter what he wants, what it wants to look like. The potter determines what the clay is supposed to look like. He shapes it. Just like the vine dresser prunes the branches to shape into what he desires to accomplish. So when we go through the chastening, we are, we learn, listen, you have to make a decision when you're going through something. Am I going to do it my way or am I going to do it God's way? Lord, what is your desire for me in this situation? How do I approach it? How do I deal with it? And the word of God come, that comes to you as you're reading your Bible or as you're praying, it might be just to pray. Worship me. Or confess this, these scriptures. Confess the promises. Whatever it is. Or you can start cussing and complaining. You decide which way you're going to go. Am I going to do it God's way? 
Because if I'm doing it God's way, I'm being obedient in my suffering. And once you obey the Spirit, as you go through the trial, God is obligated to open the doors and make the crooked path straight. He's obligated to, to rescue you. He's obligated to provide. Why? Because you're walking by faith and not by sight. You are acting like a son. You're acting like an heir. So he's obligated to rescue you. He's obligated to provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Rapha. Whoever he is, I am. He is obligated to do what he said he would do for his sons. He will never ever leave his sons, his heirs. He will always make a way for us. If we endure chastening. So it says, Christ, though he was a son, yet... Learned obedience by the things which he suffered. The whole point of chastening is to get us to submit and obey God's word. Because the Bible says, and Jesus says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why. So sons are pruned. If Jesus... Had to go through suffering. To unlearn obedience. We are. Why are we so. Why, why do we think we are going to be any different? He said to Jesus. You are my son. And it says to us. We are his sons. If Jesus had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. Why are we any different? Why do we think we are going to be treated any different? If we have to be conformed into the image of Christ. Why are we going to be treated any different than Jesus was treated? We are not. Because the prototype is Jesus. And we have to be like him. This life in Christ is not easy. That's why the Bible says. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And few find it. Because you have to have courage to walk in this life in Christ. It takes courage. It takes guts. So sons make the choice to submit to the Father's will. It ain't easy. I'm never, you're never ever going to hear me say it's easy. It's not an easy walk. But it's a very, very rewarding walk. You have to look at it in the, in the, from the, the aspect or the perspective. Perspective of eternity. As far as God is concerned, this life we're living in this this earth is a vapor, is a is a it's a mist. We're here today and gone tomorrow. It's not seventy years is nothing for God. It's nothing. <clears throat> nothing. Our lifetime is nothing to God. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter eight, and I'm kind of going to start there, but I won't finish. I'll just. Touch on it a little bit and then we'll pick it up the next time. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 14, and then eventually I'll get to 29. Romans 8, verse 12. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, bo- the body, you will live. For as many 
as are, as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom you we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And in verse 29 it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. <laughs> I'm not going to finish this, but I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. Okay, We are chastened so that we can learn to obey God and not live according to the flesh. I'll pick this up ne- next time, but I'm just giving you a little snapshot of what, we go- what we're going to talk about. Sons learn through chastening to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. See that? We learn through the things we suffer to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So we learn to yield to God by that same Spirit. We learn to respond by the Spirit and not the flesh. And there is a witness in our spirit by the Holy Spirit that we are children. I don't know if you ever, 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 ever had that confirmation when you're going through something or when you're in prayer. You feel the connection with the Father through the Son. Nobody can tell you that. You have to experience that yourself. You understand what you are experiencing is not a religious thing. It's a spiritual experience. Because when you, when the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, is because there's a, they call it koinonia, a fellowship, your Spirit to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit Bears witness of who God is. And when you get that manifestation in your body. You cry out Abba Father. Because it, it, is, it is an expression of love and reverence for who fa- the Father God is. It's not something that happens in your head. It happens in your heart. Because the Holy Spirit. It's already, if you're in Christ, you're born again by that same Spirit. And that same Spirit who quickens you to the things of God, to the Father, it bears witness with you that you are loved. And that your Heavenly Father is truly your Heavenly Father. So no matter what you're going through, how much pain you're feeling, you cry out, Father, Father. Because you know he is the only one who can satisfy whatever it is that is hurting you or weighing you down. 
You cannot explain that to people. Everyone has to experience that for themselves. And it says here in verse 29, Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know what that says? We were chosen and already determined. That's why I said, the vine dresser and the potter already knows the outcome, what they're trying to achieve. So it's saying here, we are pre, have already been predestined to be con- conformed into the image of Christ. Alre- it's already determined. So God is already working out in time and space what he has already declared that he's going to do. Okay, I'm going to stop there for today.